Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. When I was talking to this week's guest after the podcast, we were reflecting on living a life outside of our diagnoses and how neither one of us really likes talking about the nuts and the bolts of what our illness is like on a daily basis. She mentions in the podcast that she intentionally doesn't talk about her medical journey in her business or on her website or on her social media because, quote, it's the least interesting thing about me. I love that so much. Keisha Rice embodies the live your life, not your diagnosis lifestyle. She does live with kidney disease. She was diagnosed in high school and went through three transplants. One doctor told her not to even bother with looking at college because she wouldn't live that long. But she has been so determined to prove her doctor wrong and a few degrees, a few Emmy nominations, and a few of her own businesses later I say she's proved that doctor wrong tenfold. I can't wait for you to meet Keisha. She is a dating coach now. And in this episode, we go deep into the world of relationships, not just romantic ones, and how we can all get a little more connection in our lives. So please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Keisha Rice, resources we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. You can find that link in this episode description. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. Listener discretion is advised. I'm here today with Keisha Rice. Keisha Rice is a dating coach, a hypnotherapist, and a two-time Emmy-nominated journalist. As a coach, Keisha helps successful Christian women learn how to attract quality men without compromising their values, identity, or sanity. As the daughter, sister, and niece of preachers, Keisha understands what it's like as a Christian woman to balance conservative upbringing with modern hookup culture. And like many women in the corporate world, Keisha knows the challenges of being ambitious while maintaining your femininity. Keisha, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I was reading through your website, looking through your Instagram, which 
By the way, there will be links to that. It's a fantastic Instagram. Like there are so many really helpful videos and I mean, so many things that are just one thing after another. I was like, oh my God, that's so good. Oh wait, that's so good. (laughs) Holy cow. Like that's, I mean, some of the stuff you say is really, really good. But I was kind of struck by a few things when I was going through all of this. Number one, I have been out of the whole dating pool for 15 years. And after reading through it, I don't think much has changed. You know, my grandmother used to always say there's nothing new under the sun. And it's so true. Like clients come to me all the time. They're like, oh, you don't understand how it is anymore because you've been married for so long. By the way, I've been married for three years. Um, and you just don't understand how these men are and and what's it like with relationships and getting out here. And I'm like, jerks have always been jerks. Boundaries have always been boundaries. Standards have always been standards. Like, yes, there are some different ways of communicating now because of the internet and, and everything. And there's also a larger proliferation of not only dating coaches, but trashy pickup artists like Andrew Tate. So, yeah, Yeah, that's not. So, yeah, those are things. But how we handle them, how we create the life that we want to live, that hasn't changed. Mm. Yeah, different generations have different ways that they communicate and different things that they value. And and every generation is different. But you're right. It's like jerks have always been jerks. It's just like a Gen X jerk is going to be maybe a little bit different than a millennial jerk, which is going to be a little bit different than a, a Gen Z jerk, but it's comforting and a little bit of a bummer <laughs> to see that not a whole lot has changed. Something else I didn't see in looking just at your website and everything is much about your personal story. And I know that your diagnosis, I always say, I mean, it's it's in the title, right? Our life is not our diagnosis. But I think it's interesting because your health journey and your diagnosis must have shaped a little bit of who you are and what your career goals are and what your dreams are. Yeah. So the diagnosis that you're referring to, by the way, is I was diagnosed with kidney disease and I've had three kidney transplants. So for starters, I had that diagnosis when I was 17, 18 years old. But before that, when I was a kid, I had different health problems. You know, asthma was one of them. And I had some very negative doctors. So I had a doctor say that I was going to live long enough to reach 18. I was going to live long enough to graduate high school. I remember getting diagnosed with kidney disease and talking to my doctor because this was, again, my senior year of high school. And I remember saying something to him about college and everything and figuring out my college schedule and doctor's appointments and all that. And he was like, I don't know why you're going to college. It's not like you're going to live long enough to graduate. So, you know, on one hand, it made me, I would say it made me a little bit more ambitious because I definitely took the attitude of, screw you, I'm going to show you wrong. I remember the first time I was on dialysis, I was taking a full-time course load and going to these appointments and looking for internships and all of that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make sure I have a fulfilling life. And and that, first of all, I'm going to live longer than they say. But also, you know, that was one of the things that when I first started dialysis that first time, it was summer between high school and college. And it was so depressing. 
like going to treatment and then just coming home and having nothing to do. I was like, I have to find a purpose. I have to find something to do because otherwise I was concerned that I wouldn't live very much longer, not because of the disease, but because of the depression and, you know, the things that go along with being a very depressed person. So it was really important for me to like really set goals, to give myself something to do, to have ambition. And then when you talk about relationships and me eventually becoming a dating coach, having to deal with those different trials, especially at a younger age, you really, really learn who your friends are. You know, mm. <laughs> you really learn who cares about you. You really learn who says they're going to be down for you and who actually is. And I remember that was in high school. That was the biggest shock to me because I had a certain group of friends that I knew cared about me. But you know how it is when you're a teenager. Mm. These friends weren't as quote unquote cool. So I didn't spend as much time with them. And I spent more time with like, the friends who were a little bit cooler, more popular. And I was like, you know, these are my girls. We're going to be friends forever and all that. And as soon as I got sick, like, you know, the phone calls weren't as frequent, you know, the time spent together wasn't as much. It was, I felt like I was a charity case, you know? And meanwhile, the friends that I wasn't as good to were the ones who ended up visiting me in the hospital. They ended up being the ones who like took the time. They were the ones who they were considerate. Like if we went places, they would ask like, are you filling up to this? Are you tired? And all, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But they never made it always about me being sick. And I love them and still love them so much for that. These are people who I am still friends with more than a decade after high school. And it taught me so much about relationships just in, I always tell my clients that all relationships are related. So when a woman comes to me and she has issues with her romantic relationships, she has issues with her family, friends, coworkers, clients, all of that too. Just like we said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new with relationships either. You know, you can't set boundaries with one group. You can't set boundaries with the other. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think it's a really, it's a really common theme, especially with me talking to a lot of people who have all sorts of different health journeys, all sorts of different diagnoses and health issues and and them pushing on and creating, you know, the rest of their life. The common thing that almost every single person brings up is relationships in some form, either a relationship with their spouse, a relationship with friends, relationships, like you said, with friends that maybe didn't stick around so much after the diagnosis, friends that came out of the woodwork and are now BFFs after the diagnosis. That was somewhat surprising. It is it is very much a common theme, which is another reason why I'm so glad to talk to you. Is that what made you want to go into relationship coaching? Because at a very young age, you were shown kind of a very deep understanding of relationships of all kinds. <laughs> It's kind of what made me run for it from it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I don't know if you, well, I'm sure you've, you've heard this phrase before, success leaves clues, right? Mm. So, you know, I've always been interested in communications. You know, 
I get bored and go back to school. So my first college degree is in journalism. (laughs) And I decided as a young child, like when I was four, that I wanted to go into journalism. And what I loved most about that was storytelling and learning about people and communicating and all. So I had this deep thing for relationship building to begin with. And then I'm a preacher's kid. So my parents counseled other couples was one of the things that they did. And then also being a preacher's kid, I felt like I wasn't getting enough attention because, you know, the church was so important. So much Mm -hmm. time and money and energy had to be dedicated to the church. So I started dating at a young age, got into a lot of bad relationships. (laughs) But because of that, I had, you know, I was 16, 17, and I had women who were in their 30s and 40s at my church coming to me asking for dating advice. So that was So all of that was happening very early. I still continue with my plan to go into journalism. And when I started coaching, I started helping women with careers. I started as like a career and life coach. And it was so important to me because the whole thing with the health, I was like going through that process and having people reject me and abandon me and all that. I was appreciative to the people who were there. But also that rejection kind of put me in the mindset of like, okay, you only have yourself. You got to do things for yourself. So I was like, that's how I was hammering things to women. Like, do you Mm -hmm. make sure that you're happy, get the life that you want, go get it yourself. No one's going to give it to you. And I started helping all of my clients with things and they started asking me about relationships and I kept being like, I don't really do that, you know? I was like, mm-hmm. but if I were in your position, this is how I would handle it. This is what I would do. And, and uh, pretty soon I ended up becoming a dating and relationship coach. And to what you mentioned earlier, I don't mention my diagnoses very often on social media and very intentionally so. But I find it comes up a lot with my clients because, you know, some of them have heard it mentioned before and then come to me because they're like, I have no clue how to date with a chronic illness, how to talk to people about that, how to have those conversations. But also we all have struggles and some of us are unfortunate enough that our struggle manifests in a way that other people can see it, right? Like with an illness and being able to navigate that, learn how to discuss that is something that most of us aren't taught. So with my clients, it does often become a thing like, hey, when I first got diagnosed with my illness and I had to set stronger boundaries because, you know, now I really had to consider my energy and what I could do and what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And also mental health, like manifest in physical health too. And I couldn't afford to take any more hits to the physical health, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I had to get better at those things I have that when I'm talking to my clients about like, hey, you really do have to, you only have this one life, you only have this one body. And part of taking care of that body is making sure your mind is right. And part of making sure your mind is right is being very mindful of the people who are in your life and how you interact with them. Yeah. Something that you have a video on, and I loved it, is determining what level of relationship you should have with different people. And you 
use the analogy of the solar system. Like, is somebody Pluto or is somebody Mercury? Yeah. And, you know, this was something I really, really learned because, you know, you learn things intellectually and then you learn things from personal experience. <laughs> and they're very different a lot of yeah. the times. <laughs> <laughs> but the personal experience of that was when I first got sick, talking about like, in that video, I said that, you know, you're the sun. Some people in your life are are Mercury. Some people are Pluto. Other people fall in between. And you have to use your discernment with what it is that you're willing to reveal to people, what it is that you're willing to tell others, and just even like how much time people are in your orbit and environment and see things. Because I wasn't aware until I became aware of just like people were spending time with me kind of like for clout, like they're the good person because they hung out with the sick girl or they know the gossip because they spent the day hanging out with me. I remember at one point I had to give myself an injection of a certain medication and I was hanging out with a friend all day. It wasn't really something I ever discussed. Like, I mean, how does that come up in conversation? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> but like we had spent the whole day together in that process. I had to, you know, get myself the shot. So did it, went on about our day. We went shopping or whatever. And it was a couple of weeks later that like someone that I am not close to at all was asking me all these questions about that. And I was just like, really? Like, hmm. When you're going through just different things in general, like I know this podcast is about dealing with diagnoses and and your health and all that, but just when you're going through like a tough time, you feel burnt out in your career or when you're going through family issues or issues with another friend or you're, you know, again, being a preacher's kid, I've had struggles over the years with like spirituality and what I believe and what I don't believe. You have to be so careful about who is in your orbit because sometimes you're working through things on your own, you know, trying to figure out where you stand, how you feel, and other people will come in and blow up your spot. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Brene Brown that said something that has always stayed with me, which is when she speaks to people, meaning when she's talking about speaking to her greater audience and her, you know, in her books and her students and all that, she speaks from the scar, not from the wound. And I think that we really do, I think especially when it's something as vulnerable as our health, because a lot of times we don't even know, you know, I mean, we can have a good idea and a good hold on what's going on right now. We don't know what's going to go on. And so it can be a very vulnerable thing to talk to somebody from the wound, right? And like you say, kind of work things out and try to, to figure things out. And I think that person needs to have a reverence for that. And that needs to be our mercury. That cannot be a Pluto, right? Maybe we speak from the, the scar when we're talking to our Pluto. I think that's a really... It's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. People talk so much about how there are some people who come in your life for a season and they're not meant to be there forever. Mm -hmm. But I think we often ignore that aspect that there are people who are meant to be in our lives, but they're not meant to have such close access, right? <laughs> 
or they're meant to have close access for a period of time, but at some point that maybe they need to be downgraded. And it's not a matter of dismissing relationships and not appreciating people, but you really do have to be very intentional about your energy and what you allow into your environment. So how did you deal with that when you were, I mean, you had been dating before your diagnosis, but after your diagnosis, I can imagine the dating took on maybe a little bit of a a different vibe. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it didn't. But how was it for you to continue dating after your diagnosis? So you have to keep in mind that I was diagnosed around 17, 18. So I was young and dumb. And (laughs) yes, God bless. (laughs) So at first I tried to be like, I would try to not talk about it, period. And you can get away with that to an extent. But again, in my case, if you remember me saying this, I had three kidney transplants. So even after like transplant one, there was a period where I got sick again, then a period where I got sick again. And being in relationships, you know, I can think of a couple of times where I tried to hide what was going on. And then something happened where I got forced into being like, hey, this is the situation. (laughs) I remember one guy in particular who, as is, this relationship ended because he was very codependent and, and clingy to begin with. But we had an incident where he was already upset with me because he thought with my schedule, like I wasn't communicating with him enough and talking enough. And then I got really sick landed in the hospital for a couple of days, ended up not talking to him for a couple of days in the process and the hell that erupted (laughs) after I finally did call him. (laughs) And then I had to be like, (laughs) my jaw just dropped the hell that erupted. Look, Oh my gosh. I really was not trying to ignore you or ghost you. I'm so sorry, but I, I legit was in the hospital and here's what's happening. So as I got older, there's a balance between vulnerability and oversharing. So it wasn't ever like a first date conversation, but you know, after I talked to someone like a couple of times, I would say like, Hey, here's the thing. I have this diagnosis. Also, you know, I wouldn't say it in these exact words, but basically like, I'm also not a charity case. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not poor me. Like I still work. I still do these things and I have limits, but I will also express to you what my limits are. And I will let you know if, if I need a break, I will let you know if I'm tired or if I'm not feeling well, but don't treat me like a child. Cause I definitely attracted some men like that who, who kind of wanted to be heroes and, and everything. And, you know, I say that to, you know, women that I work with him because, you know, I, I have clients who have chronic illnesses and some of them do less than me. You know what I mean? Like some of them are saying in, in wheelchairs or they're currently not working or things like that. And I let them know that you're still allowed to have dignity, however that looks like for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's important that when you have these conversations with, dating partners, but also when you have these conversations with your friends that you let them know, hey, I'm not a child. I can express my limits. I can express when I need some rest time. 
when I need time to myself. If I say that I want to go, that I want to be active, that I want to do stuff, you're allowed to be concerned, but you're not allowed to like tell me what I can and can't do, right? (laughs) I think that takes a tremendous amount of confidence to be able to say that. I know when I first started, well, I mean, when I, it's kind of like you, it's like I was dating before my diagnosis, but when I started dating after my diagnosis, it was a whole different ballgame. And I know that I absolutely, especially in the very beginning, let my multiple sclerosis affect me, affect how I looked at my value as a contributing partner. I still sometimes have struggles with that. Thankfully, my husband is amazing, but it can be hard. And I know when I was dating before I met my now husband, I didn't always feel like I was coming in as like an equal partner or I didn't always feel like I could tell people. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I would kind of say like, you know what, this is not going to be the guy. So I'm just not even going to go there. <laughs> like, let's just have fun and, and not even figure it, you know, not even go into that conversation. But for the people that I was maybe more serious about, I, I wasn't quite sure how to say it. And I certainly didn't have that confidence to be able to say like, now listen, this is how you treat me. This is how it's going to be. How does somebody get confidence like that around? Because I had confidence around my school. I had confidence around the career that I thought I was going to have. I had confidence around, you know, I was in graduate school. I had, I had certain confidence. I just didn't have confidence in the dating relationships. Like that was just thrown out of whack. Yeah, for me, it was it was just always a matter of consider the alternative. What do you mean? The ideal life that I wanted to create it to create, I had a very clear idea of what that life looked like. I had a very clear idea mm-hmm. of what I wanted my career to be like, what I wanted my family life to be like, what I wanted my relationships to be like. And once I was so clear on that vision that I could, you know, it sounds cliche, but when people talk about how they can, they can taste it, they, they can, they can just feel it. Mm. Once I was really into that and I was dating, I was like, the ideal relationship is with a man who respects me, who sees my intelligence, who sees my value, who sees my beauty despite the the surgery scars and and all of that stuff and i again once i was so once i could feel that emotion and understand what that was going to be like i was like i i can't deal with a man who's not that right <laughs> i completely just did not have patience for anything that did not look like that and i was like if i have to I kind of got the attitude that was like, if I have to hurt feelings, then I do because I I know so, so much. I know so clearly that there's a man out there who respects me. There's a man out there who sees my worth and sees my value. And I want to make that clear that that's what I expect. And if someone can't give that no hard feelings, completely understand, but also we're not going to work. Mm-hmm. And let's just tell it now. Let's just yeah. <laughs> let's just break it off now because I have yeah. no time to <laughs> deal with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting thought. I think to probably to a certain extent, I was doing the same thing because I would, but I would judge very quickly. 
And I don't know if that's because I probably because I still had issues with my own, you know, valuing my own self and and figuring out what the heck was going on with my MS and what that meant for my life. You know, you go through a whole identity shift. But to a certain extent, I, like I said, I would very quickly judge people and be like, yep, no, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be a season. (laughs) You're not going to be, you're not going to be the lifetime. And when I was ready to like find, be serious myself and like find someone and lock in, it was not long before I found my husband. That's one of the things though, because marriage is a partnership and it is about two people coming together to create something even better. When Mm -hmm. we have these diagnoses happen to us and, and we go through physical changes and mental changes and all of that, our self-esteem takes enough hits. (laughs) So I need a partner who the two of us are working and building on improving our, our values of each other, you know, our esteem and how we feel about each other and how we feel about ourselves. And that was one of the things too, is that, you know, I say men because I'm a straight woman, right? But people who feel this need to be with someone that, you know, they love that caregiver role when they love it a little too much is because it's their self-esteem. They feel like they need that to take care of someone to be made worthy. And someone who's leaning heavily into that is not working on their esteem and their issues. So if they're not working on that and I have this thing that's, I know going to cause me to take some hits, like it's just not a good match. <laughs> We're going to be low self-esteem yeah. together, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, which is a fabulous relationship. <laughs> I think it happens when we've got all of these things going on with the confidence with our diagnosis and with just our lives. And like you, I was diagnosed very young. And so I was still just trying to figuring out my life and who I was just in general. But then at the same time, it's like, You've got to be ready for, I wanted marriage. You talk about marriage. It doesn't have to be, you know, it can be a long-term partner, right? It doesn't have to be, but be ready for that next level of relationship. And so you just have to be ready for that. And I think with that maybe comes that confidence and it may have nothing to do with your diagnosis, maybe, right? Maybe it's just a maturity or something that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know for me it was. It was a maturity of saying, like, now I want, I want something serious. Like I'm I'm tired of dating the guys that I've been dating. And it's time for something a little more genuine. And I it kind of intersection happened where I was ready for something serious. I was ready to be more a little bit more confident in my diagnosis. I was ready you know, I was ready as far as who I knew I was with my diagnosis. It was kind of like this, like I said, this intersection that happens. Yeah. I mean, I think where having a diagnosis comes into play is people talk all the time about how life is short, but when you're dealing with a chronic illness, you get very heavily reminded. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There are some people who are going to get those reminders and they fall into a place of hopelessness. And that's very unfortunate. But for some of us, there's something about that reality 
like really having it hit home that death is a thing that makes you be like, okay, life is short and screw anything that makes it not happy and not good. Like, (laughs) I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I'm going to make sure that Drake said I'm here for, for a good time, not a long time. I plan on being here for both a long and good time, but it's definitely going to be a good time. Yeah. (laughs) What do you say? Cause I know there are people listening that are thinking, you know, that's great. Sounds fantastic. I'm just not there yet. Maybe they're still struggling with their own value, you know, seeing their own value or seeing their own value as far as what you can bring to a relationship and they want to date. Maybe they're, you know, looking to get back into the dating pool or just starting to get into the dating pool and they are just not feeling it. What can you say to help them get into maybe a a different state of mind? Yeah, it starts with having something in your life to talk about that's not being sick. (laughs) So just in general, I tell all of my clients, regardless of what their health status is, if you want people to be interested in you, you need to be interesting. Have a life, you know, have things to talk about, have stories to tell. One of my favorite things is is travel. When my husband and I got engaged, I took off. I took like seven, eight different solo trips <laughs> around the world, came back and was like, okay, let's get married. Let's do this. I have so many interesting travel stories to tell. And when I, I was doing that before I met my husband. So when I was dating, like that became one of the things that, you know, I used to stand out. I had all these great stories. And when you have a chronic illness, oftentimes one of the reasons why you fall into that really depressing cycle of everyone always talking about your illness is because that's all you have to talk about. It becomes really easy Mm. to fall into that pattern of constant doctor's appointments. I feel tired. I'm going to lay and watch TV. It's just so easy to fall into that cycle. And I get that depending on what you're dealing with, you have different activity levels and, and all of that. But one of the blessings of the pandemic was that online things became so much easier access. And it can be as simple as taking a cooking class, taking an art class, doing paint by numbers, reading more, learning something new. I go back to school and, and collect degrees, but there are plenty of like fr- <laughs> there are plenty of free online courses that you can take to learn things. Yeah. And Doing that will make you more interesting, you know, give you things to talk about when you're meeting someone new, but it also improves your self-esteem and your confidence because instead of focusing on the things that you feel you can't do anymore, you're learning all these things about yourself and what you can do. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes our life more interesting when we're learning new things, trying new things. My favorite thing is I I love audiobooks and I always listen to audiobooks and podcasts and things when I'm hiking in the morning and 
I just started listening to this new book and I was telling my husband about it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You have to read this because XYZ and he talks about this. And I mean, I yeah, I get so excited about just, I mean, just an audiobook or a podcast or something interesting. And I think you're right. It I think we don't talk about our chronic illness all the time because we think it's interesting and we want to talk about it all the time. <laughs> it's just that sometimes it just feels like it's our world. And it can be so refreshing to get out of that and look at a world outside of that chronic illness. And like you said, it doesn't, regardless of what your ability is, there's always some kind of a way to start looking beyond. Yeah. And you know, for me, it also helped with after having those transplants and everything, you know, you have a transplant, you're put on anti-rejection meds. And it comes with all sorts of side effects, weight gain, acne, Mm -hmm. changes to your hair, skin, all of that. And I remember going through a period where I just felt ugly. Like, (laughs) I just felt so unattractive. And one of the things that helped lift me out of that was, yes, I will say, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with a little vanity, there's nothing wrong with the spa treatments and, and skincare and, and all of that and, and you know, losing weight if you feel like you need to lose weight. Nothing wrong with that. But I was doing all those things and those things didn't help as much, not, not mentally. What really helped me was I started finding things that I was interested in and passionate about. And I remember just talking to like guy friends of mine, not you know, thinking anything was going to come of it because, of course, I look like Shrek. So, like, nothing. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting like any man to find me attractive. And I remember like just having conversations and being so passionate about something and realizing I'm holding his attention. He looks really interested in me. <laughs> And it's it's so true. Yeah. Like when you have that passion for life, that zest, that is so attractive. And I think that kind of it almost takes the weight off a little bit. I I think because a lot of times when we're looking for a partner and we're looking for a serious relationship, and your attention can be so focused on what can I do to attract this, but if you take the weight off of the other person being there at all and just say, what what can I do to interest myself? What can I do to make my life more interesting for my own good? Because there are so many valuable things that come from that just in ourselves and our own life. And then it's, you know, getting a partner can be a secondary thought because like you said, it's like making yourself more interesting to yourself, you're going to naturally be more interesting to other people. The partner is definitely the secondary benefit, the charity on top. But I do find it often is not uncommon for it to start that way, for people to go on these journeys of they've been in crappy relationships. So they're like, okay, I want to do something different. I want to improve myself see the therapist, see the coach that can be in a healthy relationship. And once they do, they realize that the original crappy relationship is the one with themselves. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and then they yeah. fix that one and everything else also turns around too. So 
you know, I actually had this discussion with someone the other day. She was like, you know, I feel like you're so deep. I don't understand why you're a dating coach because that's so shallow. And I was like, sweetie, you don't understand that when these women come to me for dating and to get a man, like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to help them get a man. Yeah. But most importantly, I'm going to help them love themselves. The dating strategy and all that is is kind of like the packaging. But what we're really working on is having great relationships everywhere, including your own self-love and your own self-esteem. I think it's really true. And, and it's something I think that we all know on some level, but it's kind of like what you said earlier. It's like knowing about it intellectually and actually putting it into practice and seeing it in action in our lives can be two totally different things. Yeah. And I personally love working on relationships with other people because oftentimes we are too close to our own situations. And (laughs) especially if you have a chronic illness and you have those periods where you're really sick, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. You have this tendency to get into your head And, you know, this was why in addition to coaching, I also became certified as a hypnotherapist because your head is a scary place. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it can be. Yeah. An unmanaged mind is a very scary thing. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves and I get it. I don't think it's, it's, it's selfish when you go through something traumatic and being diagnosed with a chronic illness is traumatic pulling into yourself and and kind of closing corners around yourself is a protective thing. So I totally understand that. But oftentimes when we really work on our relationships with others and those other people, we get triggered, we see things in them, and then it helps us reflect back with like, oh, okay, this is something that like, I've been so caught up in my own world. I didn't realize that like, over time, I've become less patient and I need to work on that. Or I, I'm getting mad at this friend because she's such an amazing person and she treats herself like crap and she's never taking care of herself. And it's like, oh, seeing the way she treats herself, I'm realizing I'm not doing a great job with my self-care either, right? <laughs> so there's so much benefit to honing our relationships with the people in our orbit. And I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something that I saw on your Instagram. You were talking about how you need to be in relationships and not just romantic, but you know, in general relationships in order to work on yourself. No, I was, I was going to say one of the, one of the biggest things that I help women with is healing the, the generational traumas and, and those unhealthy generational patterns. And so often women come to me and they're like, there's no way I'm going to be in a healthy relationship because I'm so screwed up. And because my parents screwed me up so badly, they did a number on me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that one, in a way we can, we can blame parents, but once you become an adult, you have to take accountability. And two, yes, you do need to kind of start your healing on your own. Because you have to learn what these patterns are. You you have to understand what it is that you really want and need in a relationship. But if I tell you 
Andrea, you really need to set some boundaries. You need to set more boundaries. If you're never in relationship with other people, how are you going to practice setting those boundaries? So true. It's so true. I mean, it's not until we start doing things that kind of those rough edges show themselves. And then we can know either through the fact that I truly believe that the world is, is like a mirror. And kind of going back to what you were saying before, it's like we kind of see things and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I do that too. It's like anything, right? I mean, let's say you're learning how to, I don't know, like say you're learning how to play basketball. I don't know. Yeah. Because I have basketball in the mind (laughs) right now. But you don't know until you start playing that, oh, you know what? I actually am not great at the three point. I need to practice that. I thought I would be better at the layups, but you know what? I need to practice that. It's the same thing, right? Oh, I'm not really so good at following through on those boundaries, but you don't necessarily know that you're right. Like until you start doing it. Even sometimes you just need another voice around you to help you understand certain things. So the pandemic was a rough time for all of us. And I I say was COVID is still a thing, just not as, as present in our everyday lives as it was right at the peak of it. So, you know, middle of 2020, that was happening. And I'm sure you also remember George Floyd was killed. And I remember being at home with my husband because, you know, lockdown, we couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) And I remember just being in a funk and I was already coaching at this point. So I understood emotional intelligence and naming your emotions and and being able to put them in their proper place and everything. But I just kept, remember, feeling down and not understanding what it was. And all of these things were coming up. Like, technically, my health was in the best it had been at that point. But I remember having worries about like going back on dialysis and, and things like that. Just all these different things were coming up. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, am I going insane? And I remember my husband saying something like, I I said something to him. He was like, geez, why are you so angry? And I was like, I'm not angry. And he's like, yes, you are. You're angry. And I was like, I'm not angry. What is your problem? Right? (laughs) I'm not, you are. (laughs) and I remember like he gave me a hug and he was like okay he was like I I think you just I think you need a moment you you need some time just go lay down for for a moment and I did thinking like all the time what's his problem right (laughs) and I remember just laying in bed and then I just started crying so hard I could not stop and he he came in and like he was just he was quiet he gave me a hug and all that but he didn't talk and it was because of him that I realized the emotion that I felt was rage and I had never felt that emotion before or at least I had never felt that degree that intensity and I started thinking of all the things that I was raging about. 
again with George Floyd, I'm a black woman. So, so there's that, the pandemic, the fact that I had spent years dealing with this chronic illness and people, it seemed to me, were not taking this virus seriously and putting people's health at risk. Just like all of these things were filling me with rage. And it wasn't until having someone around who was kind of patient with me and he was like, I don't know what you're dealing with. And, and apparently you don't know what you're dealing with either, but there's something <laughs> like having that was so important. Absolutely. It's, it's having someone reflect it back to you. And, and sometimes it, it's reflected back in, in that way, which is like, look, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. Sometimes you're with a coach or someone like that who can reflect back exactly what's going on, but it really does help. Like you said, get out of your head and kind of see it from a different perspective and it can help you it can really help you to process things and see things maybe in a different light see things in a way that you never would have thought especially when it's something new like you said like rage on that level and you're right it's it being in another relationship and it, it didn't have to be romantic right it could be family it could be friends it could be whoever it is but being in relationships like that really help us gain self-awareness. Yeah. Back to what we're talking about earlier, romantic or not, there needs to be a person in your life who is Mercury. Yeah. I think it's a basic human need Yeah, is that connection. So if there's somebody listening, and I think we all go through moments of this uh, or periods of this in our lives, who's thinking, I don't have a Mercury right now. What are some steps that they can take? We talked about maybe you know, getting more interested in in different things. But what are, even if it's not like a romantic relationship that they're looking for, sometimes, I mean, friendships are hard. You know, as you get older, it can be so hard to make new friends. What are some steps that people can take to maybe find that Mercury? Yeah, so I think you do have to be proactive about building community. So, yeah, I mentioned finding new interests and new hobbies. Doing that is great for dating, but it's also great for meeting friends, right? And then finding community in volunteer work. If you are a person of faith, you know, so you're you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, whatever, finding a faith community where you live is is very helpful. Online forums are a great place. You know, I can think of friends that I am friends with this person because we were in the same Facebook group and we joked about the same things within the group and then took it offline. So you never know how those things are going to be formed. But in the meantime, I think the key to finding new friends is the same as the key to finding new romantic partners. I always tell my clients to make a list of what it is that they want to need in a relationship, what their ideal partners like. Make that same list for your ideal friends. And be open to that. I mentioned when I first got sick, there were people who I didn't consider to be as close friends because frankly, I wasn't that great to them and they became closer friends, right? (laughs) And sometimes that's the case too. There are people in your circle who you may not be as close to, but you realize like, hey, I do have like a fair number of things in common with this person. Let me make more of an effort to talk to them more often. And just no expectations, but let's see how it goes. If 
if I make the effort to say, call them once a week, will they reciprocate that? Will we find that we have some more closeness? If we don't, it's cool. I, I worked on practicing my communication skills. You know, I still got something out of it. So doing that and also working on that relationship with yourself, I absolutely hate journaling. But I recommend it to all my clients because I do it myself. And as much as I hate to journal, whenever I do it, I learn new insights about myself. I get certain feelings off my chest. I'm better able to articulate how I'm feeling to my parents or my husband or a friend. So I understand the power of it. You know, I understand the power of meditation, learning how to be alone with yourself. Because when you do those things, you're better able to communicate with others. You have more of a peace. Your energy is better. So yeah, work on the relationship with yourself, but also be intentional about how you're going to build more community around you as well. Fantastic. Keisha, I could talk to you for another three hours. I I can't believe we've already been talking for (laughs) an hour I will have links to everything so people can find you in the show notes, but quickly tell people where they can find you because I know there are people listening that are like, I got to get in touch with her immediately. Yeah. So it's actually really easy. My name is, my first name is spelled K-E-S-H-I-A. So Keisha Rice, like the food. And my website is KeishaRice.com and I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Keisha Rice. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on, being so open and sharing so much about relationships and how to navigate them and just dropping so many amazing tips and tools and things that people I know can start working on right now. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.